with a two-on-one developing. Trocek trying to send it across. He does the score! Tony D'Angelo reads the play and buries it, and we're tied in Raleigh. Peter Ryder to D'Angelo. D'Angelo, he gets it back. Shot by Peter Ryder, Svechnikov at the top of the circle. Back to D'Angelo. His backhand pass. Tara Vinen. Aho. Svechnikov. They score! Oh, that is a beauty! Happy birthday, Mr. Svechnikov! Carolina gets the three-goal lead right back. It's 4-1. Hurry. 20 seconds left here and the penalty to Andre Svechnikov. Now Trubel loses the handle and the Canes can get a two-on-one if they hurry. Trocek with Stahl. Stahl trying to find it back to Trocek. Severson to the loose puck, give it away. D'Angelo with it, on the steal, across for Jarvis, he scores! The rookie, Seth Jarvis, his fourth game winner, and the Hurricanes beat the Devil with a 3-2 win in overtime. Back to Carabinen, up top, D'Angelo, one time, he scores! A power play goal for Tony D'Angelo! Carabinen looks for a lane, he's Four forwards on the ice for the Carolina Hurricanes here. Ajo with it. Terravina shot right in. Rebound, they score! Svechnikov buries it in overtime. And the Hurricanes storm back down 2-0 after the first period. Will collect a 3-2 win over the Penguins. Svechnikov able to get it to Ajo. Ajo back to the point. Work to Slavin. This is the Canes Corner Podcast with host Adam Gold, presented by the Aluminum Company of North Carolina. The Canes Corner Podcast is part of the Capital Broadcasting Podcast Network. Now, here's your host, Adam Gold. Welcome to the Canes Corner Podcast. I am Adam Gold. Hope everybody is having a good summer. We have to continue our um, our thinking about the Hurricanes and the offseason and the needs. And believe it or not, because this season is about to come to an end with the Colorado Avalanche, more than likely, at the time as, as I'm recording this, more than likely wrapping up their first Stanley Cup in 21 years. We're actually not that far from getting it all underway again. Late September, we're in late June, so three months away. Free agency begins in about two weeks. And the Hurricanes have a lot of questions to answer. So we're going to do a lot of things here. Uh, we're going to talk to Luke DeCock for much of it. And he will join us. Uh, all-time, uh, you know, first-team columnist, news and observer. Uh, I just made up a title there. But uh, Luke will join us uh, in the uh, the second segment, although the first segment's going to be pretty brief. Uh, we got a bunch of things. First of all, we're brought to you by the Aluminum Company of North Carolina. If it's for the exterior of your home, you can find it at the Aluminum Company of North Carolina. 
on Hamlin Road in Durham. No place like it. Go check out what Sammy Hanna and his crew have to offer at AluminumCompany.com. So Luke DeCock will join us in just a few minutes. First, let's get to uh, a few items because there are big questions about the roster. And all the highlights you heard are highlights of players that we have a particular interest in in one way, shape, or form. Uh, Nino Niederreiter, Vincent Trocek, Tony D'Angelo, Andrei Svechnikov, Seth Jarvis. Some of those players will not be here next year. We know for a fact too well because they are part of the core. But some of those players will not be here. Maybe all three of the non of the free agents. Two unrestricted, one restricted. Um, but the Hurricanes have a lot of questions to ask and answer about the roster. There's a lot of figuring out to do. As we sit here today, if we declare that... Stephen Lawrence is coming back as an RFA. We'll leave Martin Natchez out of it, although I kind of think that Natchez will be back. If we leave Natchez out of it as an RFA with questions in terms of will he be here, I don't think we're worried about Stephen Lawrence. The Hurricanes have nine forwards and three defensemen under contract. Let's throw in Jalen Chatfield and say nine forwards, four defensemen, and two goalies under contract for next year. That's a minimum of three NHL defensemen short, and it's a minimum of four NHL forwards short if you're going to carry 13 NHL forwards. So, to me, that's a minimum of seven players that potentially are new faces to this roster which is about in line what we had a year ago. I actually think the number ended up being either eight or nine uh, from the previous year. Remember, both goalies were brand new to this organization. So there's a lot of turnover coming. And we knew this. Um, and we're going to go through it with Luke. Um, I mentioned Natchez. Quickly, my thoughts on Martin. Uh, and I will tell you this, that Luke disagrees uh, or just has a differing opinion about Natchez. Um, I believe that the organization still thinks that Marty can play and can play here. I don't want to discount that Natchez, who played wing during the pandemic year, that and was very good, I don't want to discount that Natchez can be a good player here again. He had a rough year. Um, he tried hard. Like, I don't think it was ever a case of Natchez dogging it because if that were the case, he wouldn't have played. Um, and he got plenty of opportunity. I know he wants to be a center. And I've said this before. I think I said it the last podcast we had with Sarah Sivian and Corey Lavalette. Rod Brindamore may just tell Marty, hey, you want to play center? Go out and play center. Here it is. Uh, however many preseason games the Hurricanes have, four is my guess. Go play center. You're going to play center in all four of them. Have at it. And if he looks like he can play it, maybe he'll play it. Honestly, maybe he'll play it. I don't know. Or at least it'll give Carolina an option for him to play center. And maybe you use Seth Drury on a wing somewhere. Um, 
But Martin Natchez simply get, needs to get back to playing good hockey. I've said this before about Natchez. He's a good defensive player when his mind's right. And he's a very good penalty killer. And has a body that should grow and mature. He needs to play a little bit more physical. He needs to play in the middle of the ice uh, offensively. Even if you're playing on the wing, you were allowed to get to the middle of the ice. And he needs to play with more confidence. And he just never got it last year. He never got that confidence last year. Um, I don't know what kind of value he has in the open market. He was just not very good this year. But maybe he does. So I think Natchez is either going to be here on a, let's say, two-year low-cost deal. Maybe two years, seven million. Uh, two and a half, four and a half in the second year. Or... Natchez will be part of a bigger deal. So he either returns or he's part of a return. Um, Vincent Trocek's going to get the bag somewhere. It ain't going to be here. Uh, We had a good time with Vincent Trocek. Liked him very much. Good player. Uh, Gritty, pesty, all of that. The Prius to Brad Marchand's Lamborghini. But he's going to be elsewhere because he's looking for a big contract. The Hurricanes are not interested in giving him. Tony D'Angelo. We'll get to him in a, in a second. Nino Niederreiter. If Nino was willing to accept two years, I'll say two years, nine million, if he's willing to accept that, then Nino Niederreiter will be here. If Nino wants longer term and more money, it won't be here. But I think the number must fit into that window. The Hurricanes want some flexibility. And the Hurricanes need production in a top six role from somebody playing left wing. Now, maybe their two left wings will be Svechnikov and Taravainen. It's very possible. In which case, maybe they need production on the right side. Don't know. Uh, But I do think that they need to play bigger. And Nino had a great year. But if Nino is going to get paid, you know, a lot of money, then it won't be here. I just don't think it will. Uh, But I I had nothing but great things to say about Nino Niederreiter this past year. He fit beautifully with Stahl and Faust. Um, I will say this. I'm not entirely sure that the Hurricanes uh, won't be a better team if Stahl and Faust and Nino don't play together. I almost think that they might be better off with Faust kind of sprinkling in on a scoring line. Uh, but nobody's going to argue that Stahl, Faust, and Nita Ryder together were great. Now to Tony D'Angelo. Hmm. Is Tony going to ask for a lot of money and a long-term contract? If he is, he won't get it. I kind of feel like we're headed towards arbitration with D'Angelo. What kind of situation does that create? What is the award in arbitration? Uh, I think anything south of six, D'Angelo is back. And I think anything north of six, they might walk away from it. Kid you not. They might just walk away from it. I don't know what Tony D'Angelo's open market value is. I don't think it's amazing. I don't think Tony D'Angelo's open market value is uh, 
maybe not even in the fives. D'Angelo might need, he's still young, still just 26. D'Angelo might need a two-year reasonable number contract and basically do it a couple of years in a row before he goes out and really hits it big. So, and I'm not saying that the Hurricanes should demand loyalty or expect loyalty in return. No, should not. The Hurricanes uh, will not be loyal to somebody else. They should not expect loyalty back. But I think that the fair deal for D'Angelo on the open market, what he's going to get, because there are a limited number of teams interested in Tony D'Angelo. I'm not saying there's no teams. I just think the number is low. And I think the number is low, really low, at the number that Tony D'Angelo's numbers offensively might suggest from this year and his last full season, which was the year headed to the bubble in which he was dynamite. So with all of that said, we'll see where this heads, but my guess is arbitration and depending on the award, one year, one more year with the Hurricanes and again, not sure how the the relationship is based on that, but he played in a one-year deal this year. No reason why D'Angelo couldn't play on a one-year deal worth five times as much as what he got. I think a one-year $5 million award in arbitration is probably uh, a good number to kind of give or take. So we'll see. Uh, and then one other thing before I go into the, some awards, uh, and then we'll get to Luke DeCock. I've heard a lot of... Well, if we had just had Freddie Anderson, blah, 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 blah. So let me ask this question. Are there any of you out there, any of you, who think that Freddie Anderson would have performed any better in goal than Auntie Ranta did? Now, if your answer is, well, what about game six and seven against the Rangers? I'll say... Yeah, what about game six and seven against the Rangers? Is there anybody out there that thinks that the Hurricanes got bad goaltending in this postseason that Freddie Anderson couldn't also have given them? Auntie Ranta was awesome in the postseason. Awesome. He might have gotten tired. Had Freddie been healthy, maybe Rod goes to Anderson in game six or seven. But I think that if if your mindset is, man, we really needed Freddie, then you just are disrespecting Auntie Ranta. Ranta was great in the postseason. No way the Hurricanes are getting better goaltending from Freddie Anderson because Ranta was great. And even if we expect Anderson to be great, I don't know how he would have been better than Ronta. So, and even the cameo from Kachetkov, who got us uh, out of the Boston game in game two, uh, and then allowed a bad goal in game three and really didn't play all that well, and then we went back to Ronta, and the rest is the rest. All right, now really quick, uh, to the, the NHLPA, they had their awards uh, night hosted by Keenan Thompson, which is very cool that Keenan Thompson would do that again, because uh, he's funny as hell. Um 
I think there were four awards, or there were five, the Hart Trophy. The Hurricanes didn't have any candidates for the MVP. But uh, Norris, Jacob Slavin, was in the mix. I don't know where he finished, but um, he got some support. The four people who are members of the Pro Hockey Writers Association here in town, Corey Lavalette, Sarah Sivian, uh, Luke Tacock, and Chip Alexander, three of the four, I don't remember which three, uh, voted for Slavin in their top five. We'll get to Slavin in a second. Seth Jarvis got a little support from the locals in the Calder, the Rookie of the Year, balloting. I think he finished 13th. Uh, I think Slavin was 9th. Freddie Anderson finished 4th in the Vesna voting. And uh, I actually thought that that was proper. I thought it was clear that Igor Shesterkin was number 1. I thought Jacob Markstrom from Calgary was 2, even though he had a poor postseason. And I thought, even though UC Soros was third, I thought Anderson was uh, should have been ahead of Soros, but I thought uh, Ilya Sorokin from the Islanders should have been ahead of both of them. So I still would have had Freddie fourth, but behind Sorokin, not Soros. Uh, and Jordan Stahl got a little bit of uh, love from the locals in the Selkie Best Defensive Forward uh, Award. Uh, and it occurs to me, and Stahl is one of the best defensive forwards. I don't know, if, whatever. Bergeron met, mentions that like on every ballot ever. Uh, but if we're going to have a best defensive forward, why don't we have a best offensive defenseman? And then we can give this the, the Vesna, rather the, the Norris, to the best defensive defenseman. Or maybe we just call it a best defensive defenseman. Because if you think about it, you cannot win the Norris Trophy. You can't even be a contender for the Norris Trophy. Kale McCarr won. Unless, basically, you're a point-of-game scorer. Now, that doesn't mean that Roman Yossi or Kale McCarr, who won, uh, and Victor Hedman, that doesn't mean that they're not excellent defensively. But it just means that if you're not scoring, you have no chance. And there aren't... Oh, I don't know. There aren't five better defensemen in the NHL than Jacob Slavin. So, but maybe he'll just never win or never be a finalist for the Norris, and that's okay because it is just an award. Uh, but that's where I uh, I sit on that. Um, but those are just awards, and people get probably too wrapped up in those things, and I don't think we should. Uh, the Hurricanes... Uh, had a really, really great regular season and an okay postseason. I don't think Carol... See, here's... Real quick about this. I believe that the Hurricanes play a style that is suited for the repetitiveness of the regular season. Four lines all coming at you, same way. ba 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 bam And it gets on you, and Carolina plays... Uh, with so much energy and effort during the regular season that they're going to beat teams simply because of energy and effort. Postseason, it becomes more about the talent. And I'm, I think Carolina is one or two rungs short. We watch Colorado, you see it. You see the difference when we watch Colorado. When you watch Tampa when they're healthy. When you watch the Rangers, you see it. There is a gap in terms of dynamic offensive skill. And 
Carolina needs to add, keep adding to the mix. And that's what this offseason will be. Uh, hopefully they'll be able to bring Tony D'Angelo back. Hopefully they'll be able to add another uh, really good defenseman or two good defensemen to the mix. Hopefully Jalen Chatfield doesn't have to be a 5-6. Hopefully he can be a 6-7. Maybe even get sent back down to the minors. He's on a two-way deal this year. The one-way deal starts next year. But they need depth in the forward group. Jordan Martinook and uh, Stephen Lawrence will be on a fourth line. They should be. And the Hurricanes' third line right now has only one bona fide offensive player, and that would be Niederreiter if he came back. And if Niederreiter does not come back, there's going to there's going to need be a need for offensive punch really all over the top nine. And on top of that, the Hurricanes need Andrei Svechnikov and Seth Jarvis and, to an extent, Sebastian Ajo to take another step forward. I mean, Ajo's already an outstanding player, but he's not outstanding in the, you know, McDavid, Matthews, Marner, you know, he's not that elite class. He's not Braden Point, right? He's just, and I keep saying it, he's gumbo. Just keeps sneaking up on you. He's a really, really good, no, he's a great player, but he's not a superstar. He's just Carolina's best all-around forward. And Carolina needs more. Maybe even a little bit more from Sebastian, but they need the next step from Andre. They need the next step from Seth. And frankly, if they keep him, they need the next step from Martin Natchez. They at least need, like, not this past year, but the year before, that Martin Natchez. With all of that said, we got a lot to discuss with Luke DeCock of the News and Observer, who will join us next. All right, Luke DeCock, News and Observer, columnist extraordinaire, who is, for full disclosure, at the beach, so very relaxed, I, I anticipate, a casual, breezy conversation. Um, John Cooper's mad. The uh, Avalanche had too many men on the ice, and they got away with it. And, uh, and he said stuff last night, and nothing's going to happen. Uh, do we cry? Do we, do we feel sorry for John Cooper? Uh, I mean, I, I do a little bit <laughs> just because I, I feel like the Lightning uh, have, have put themselves in a position where they were going to do what the Lightning usually does. And <laughs> um, I don't know. I, I, I thought his, his sort of visage last night was of someone who knew that he had been unfairly dealt with, but there was absolutely nothing he could or would do about it. And, um, you know, I, I think it's more, you know, don't let the game go to overtime because anything can happen, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera. But I also think the NHL has a problem where it spends all this time on replays on the stupidest stuff and then misses the most obvious things, whether it's high sticks or, or, um, you know, retaliation penalties that, that should have been two and two or whatever. Mm-hmm. I just feel like there's such a, uh, a a gap between what the NHL should be doing from an officiating perspective and what it does. I feel like it's spent a lot of time and effort on the wrong priorities. Rather, you know, the sort of frame-by-frame analysis of player skates and 
goaltender positions and things uh-huh. like that, rather than focusing on the big picture issues of how can we officiate this game better? How can we not miss the obvious uh, calls that, that they so often miss? And how can we implement a standard that's consistent, um, you know, game to game, period to period, regular season to playoffs, so everybody's playing by the same rules all year. To me, those have been big issues uh, for decades. I thought they got it right coming out of the lockout. So 16, 17 years ago, I thought they did a really good job of saying, you know, here's the big picture of how we want the game called and officiated. And then they did it um, mm-hmm. right through right through the Stanley Cup finals. And obviously since then, they've, they've gotten away from that. So um, to me, that was kind of my takeaway from that. And, and maybe that's what, to a certain degree, what John Cooper's thinking. Well, here's the thing. the and We deal with it all year long because Rod Brindamore has been outspoken. Um, I know publicly there are things he can't say, but privately I've had conversations with Rod about – like he's he he thinks the officials do the best job they possibly can, and I mean whether or not fans or even the team believes that the Hurricanes have been uh, unfairly targeted. I mean, I mean it's kind of amazing that you could be one of the best teams in the league the last three years uh, and have really, you know, been on the short end of so many. Uh, the, that should have evened out over time, but it really hasn't. Um, but I, I get it. You know, the Hurricanes have guys that commit a lot of penalties, whether it's Trocek or Svechnikov. These guys have, have committed a lot of penalties. Um, but Rod has always said that take one official off the ice and put that official upstairs, and you can officiate the game from there, too, and even though maybe you don't see some physicality up close, but you get a chance to see so much more, uh, not to mention they have all these monitors and whatnot that are available to them. And I'm not a replay guy, but I am I am a fan of doing, if you're going to have replay, doing it like that. I mean, I don't think Rod's wrong. I don't think Rod's being disrespectful. Uh, but I think that's the way it's come off. And I don't think he's got any influence, but... I mean, that would have helped last night because Kadri was the guy who came on the ice for McKinnon, and Kadri scores the goal. So if Kadri has to wait till McKinnon is close enough to the bench, that that's not a goal. So, no, I, I mean, it would have helped. There's no question they blew it, but that's also something the four officials on the ice typically do a good job of, of catching, and you would expect them to check. My, my issue, like I think the reason that the Hurricanes have been one of the league's most penalized teams is – they're often dominating play and not necessarily leading by a lot. Um, and, and because of that, and this is where you get back to the big picture of things, officials, whether it's deliberate or subconscious or whatever, it's the Tim Peel thing. They have a tendency in the NHL, which you don't see in the NBA, I don't believe. You certainly don't see it in college basketball to the same degree, to want to even things up. I think that's a global thing with the NHL's quest for parity and everybody gets a point every game. And I think it's a, you know, that's a macro thing and it's a micro thing in the sense that these guys have been told over and over again, you know, don't lean too far to one side. So they're, it's, they're, they're like the New York times. They're trying to both sides every mm-hmm. game. Even when one team is committing penalties and the other team isn't, you end up with the hurricanes. Well, the other team may have committed a, a, a penalty, but the hurricanes are out shooting them 20 to four. I can't put them on the power play. And that becomes this sort of natural uh, hurdle that the Hurricanes have to overcome by 
being up three nothing in the first period if they're going to outshoot the other team twenty to four because the other team's going to get a bunch of power plays because NHL officials have this whether it's as I said whether it's deliberate or just ingrained in them tendency to even things up. Uh, that's different than what we saw last night. What we saw last night was a blown call that shouldn't have happened um, from officials who who advanced to work that series, linesmen and, and referees mm-hmm. alike. That that one's really on the linesmen. They're supposed to be watching the bench uh, in that situation. Um, and, and it can't happen. It can't happen in, in essentially what would probably end up being the deciding game of the Stanley Cup Finals. Um, to me, it's another indictment of NHL officiating in toto uh, which has all of these problems. And again, you know, I feel like they, they did a good job working from the same page uh, coming out of the lockout with those big changes and the players had a say and all of that. And we, we've seen that regress to very much a pre-lockout standard over the last 20 years. And, you know, I, I or the last 15 years, and I, I, I don't know exactly what the solution is to that, but I think it needs to come from the top. And I, I think there needs to be some changes not just in the way the NHL handles officiating, um, but hockey operations in general. I think a lot of the league's problems come from, uh, quite frankly, having people who have been in their jobs too long, from Colin Campbell on down, and some mm-hmm. of that needs to change. Yeah, I mean, it probably goes across uh, across all sports. All right, let's get to uh, what my intent was initially before John Cooper got upset uh, with too many men on the ice. Um, Hurricanes roster, 10 forwards, are and I include Stephen Lawrence and Martin Natchez in that uh, four defensemen, and I have not included Ethan Bear, Tony D'Angelo, and Jake Gardner, who's you know he's on the books, <laughs> he's, he's on the spreadsheet. Uh, I don't know if he's ever going to play again for the Hurricanes, uh, and both goalies. That's that's what they've got going into next year, right now b- before. Any trades happen at the draft coming up in uh, in a couple of weeks? Um, what do you see as the holes in their roster that they must fill? You know, it's interesting because as as we've gotten some more distance from the season, um, I, I, I don't know that I would say I've changed my perspective, but I'm willing to entertain sort of alternative perspectives. My feeling was watching that team in the postseason that it was a team that could score in the regular season. It could score against lesser opponents and lesser goaltenders, but it did not have the collective finishing ability to score against better teams when it mattered. Um, I think there's still a great degree of truth to that. Mm -hmm. I think there's also a degree of truth to the fact that their underlying analytics, even on the power play, as frustrating as it was to watch in the playoffs, were the kind of numbers you would expect to bring them victory, at least in one road game. So there's also a ten. You also have to guard against the tendency to overreact to a 14 game sample, which is small, obviously compared to the regular season. Um, that said, I still think this is a team that, even in the regular season, you looked at and said they need to finish more of their chances. There's nothing novel about that. That's been an issue with this team for years. Mm -hmm. And so the question then becomes, are the guys who are supposed to do that, whether it's Andre Svechnikov or Sebastian Ajo, uh, or, I mean, I guess you wouldn't say Tara Vinen, um, you know, but certainly Marty Natchez has that skill level. Um, Are they not as good as we and the Hurricanes maybe thought they were? Um, Or was that just a weird stretch of, of time where players like Trocek and and Svechnikov just couldn't finish unless the net was empty. 
And, and I think you can go back and forth between those two sort of extremes. And the truth is, is somewhere in the middle. But the thing that gives me pause, Adam, a month out now is the failure to win game four in Boston with McAvoy and Lindholm out, uh, with Ranta back in net after having the game off to, to rest and recuperate and his, his stinger or whatever it was in his neck. The failure to win that game, to me, looking back on all of this, is a capital offense. That suggested that this team was not capable of winning must-win games in the playoffs. And I think if they win that game, that's probably a five-game series. Mm -hmm. They're in better shape to face the Rangers. They have more confidence. They're not worrying about their ability to win on the road. But if you can't win a game when the other team is missing its two best defensemen, one of, one of which is Norris Trophy caliber, if not a Norris Trophy winner, you really have to look and say, well, what's wrong with the fundamental makeup of our team that we can't? buckle down and win that one game when it matters. And you could say, oh, well, they won game seven when it matters, um, but they needed to rely on Max Domi to do it, which is not a recipe for victory over <laughs> and over again. And they didn't win against the Rangers when it mattered. So to me, that, that does suggest that this is more than just sort of bad luck over a 14-game sample. It's a, it's a fundamental structural flaw, and that is something that you have to address, to me, by letting Trocek walk, finding a way to get value from Marty Natchez, who I think maybe just even in the most positive light needs a change of scenery. If you're going to complain about Rod not being on the same page with Rod Brindamore and saying that you want to play center, when Rod Brindamore played you more than any coach in the history of hockey has played a struggling player and you show no aptitude for center in your entire time in the NHL, um, that to me suggests that mentally, physically, emotionally, geographically, you need a change of scenery. Um, so I would take those two roster spots and that money, and, and I would make a play. I mean, there's guys who are going to be out there this year, whether they're free agents, whether they're trade bait, um, you know, guys like Forsberg, like the Brinkett. Um, Calgary's probably going to have to move one of their RFA forwards. You could, obviously, you can't do an offer sheet without your own first-round pick, but you can get into the market for those guys. Mm -hmm. You have Marty Natchez to use. You have other assets to use. To me... You've got a team that plays the way Rod Brindamore wants it to play, that generates chances. You just don't have the level of finishing skill to succeed going forward. And you combine that with the fact that this team really took a step back in the postseason this year. And to me, it suggests you need to make at least one fundamental change to your roster. Um, I think Troche, you know, accepting Trochek's departure uh, is part of that. Um, but I think you need to bring in uh, a star player. When you look at the Avalanche, when you look at the Lightning, they have more stars. Mm -hmm. uh, the Rangers, in some ways, with Shesterkin and Fox and their you know array of number one draft picks, have more stars. Yep. Um, you you need more elite level talent, and maybe you can't go out and get a Connor McDavid, obviously, but I think you can bring in a winger who can score, and maybe that unlocks some of the rest of the roster to be more of the sum of its parts. On defense, you know, obviously they have the core there. They've got the three guys. Um, you know, I think probably given that D'Angelo would have the world's strangest arbitration case, uh, there's going to be common ground to find a way to bring Tony D'Angelo back. And that's fine. I was obviously against the signing last summer, um, but you have to give the kid credit for, for fitting in here and, and not raising a ruckus. Um, you know, he had his weird Dougie Hamilton with the Bruins thing against the Rangers in the playoffs. Yeah. I think as long as you don't play the Rangers, you're probably okay with Tony D'Angelo in the postseason based on the way he played against Boston, and especially the way he played in game five against Boston. Um, 
bouncing back from the end of mm-hmm. game four and, and, and showing that he's he, he's not going to let the Bruins get in his kitchen the way he did at game four. And then he proceeded to let the Bruins, the Rangers get in his kitchen <laughs> for seven games. Um, you know, Jalen Chatfield, I think, will be here. That's going to shave some money off the salary cap. You know, I would have probably tried to find a way to find some common ground with Ethan Baird, bring him back. I thought there was enough promise in the way he started, but obviously what happened over the course of the season post-COVID you know, the, the, the playoff bench, benching, for lack of a better word, clearly indicates the Hurricanes are ready to move on. So that's fine. That's their decision. Um, and then, you know, I think there's probably room maybe to bring back someone like Brendan Smith on a one-year deal. I think having him around and having that veteran presence helped. And after that, you know, you're just filling filling holes. You know, I don't know if Scott Morrow's ready, but obviously he's a tremendous talent. Um, I don't know if Alexi Helmasalmi's ready, but there's a lot of good things that they've said mm-hmm. about him. I still think Jesper Selgren is an NHL defenseman. Yeah, I agree. Um, I, I think everybody in that who covers the Hurricanes on a regular basis believes that with much more uh, confidence than anyone in the front office. But, uh, you know, to me, that, so I don't think there's a ton of change necessary in defense. And obviously in goal, you know, uh, uh, the, the Anderson-Ranta tandem, I don't see any reason not to bring that back unless you felt like you can't count on Freddie Anderson in the playoffs. Um, and that's more a decision that, you know, you and I can't make. That would right. have to be a Dundon, what, El more decision. Um, and then the Jake Gardner thing will sort itself out. I, I ran the numbers on his buyout the day that they said he was technically eligible to come off long-term injured reserve. They're not horrible. They're not going to put the Hurricanes in cat jail. I assume that's what's going to end up happening. But to me, you know, I, I, I think you run the risk of, of saying, you know, can we get by at center with Ajo and Stahl and Kokiemi and Drury um, and bulk up elsewhere and count on Kokiemi taking a step forward, which he's capable of, and, uh, and and Jack Drury being able to step into the NHL, which there's every indication he's also capable of, and use that money on the wings to, to basically to upgrade from Natchez and try to get yourself a, a guy who's a star, or yeah. uh, at, at least a potential I've, star. That, that's the way I see it. I've actually said uh, several times, I think... I think in however many years, I think we're going to look at Jack Drury as better than Jesperi Kotkaniemi. Um, why I think that, I don't know. I don't really have anything to base on other than uh, I have a limited sample size in watching Drury, but I do know that uh, this year in the American Hockey League, also in the playoffs, he's been great. Uh, his year, his first year playing professionally in Sweden, when he realized he couldn't go back to Harvard and play, was excellent. He was, I think, third in the Rookie of the Year voting there. Um, and I'm just not convinced that Kokaniemi is going to be a productive offensive player. I think that Kokaniemi can be a very good third center. Um, and that will be great because he's got great size, uh, and I think he is willing to play a physical game. It's really part of his game, and he's much better in the middle of the ice than he is on the, on the outside. Uh, but I think Drury has – there is something about Drury, and maybe I'm just projecting – uh, Uncle Chris, in terms of you know what we saw from him as an intelligent player, I think we see a lot of that in Jack. Let me just go back to something you said uh, earlier, because the chances that they created all throughout the regular season, and really it was the same in the playoffs, just didn't translate into goals. I would take it a step further back in that how much of their possession didn't even translate to good chances because they weren't very good in odd man situations. I mean, how many times did we see uh, not just two-on-ones, three-on-ones that didn't result in shots? That, like, 
like it, it was hard to hard to fathom not getting anything, getting enough out of those, and maybe it's too many guys who want to pass as opposed to shoot, and that includes their two stars in Aho and Svechnikov. But they they have had a hard time creating or or turning their possession into chances into goals. So to me, it's a it's a domino effect. One needs to lead to more of the other. They're more. It's it's like sales with them. They're kind of they're vol, They're a volume team. They just need a lot more chances to get their goals because they don't have natural finishers. And I include Aho, who is not even a thought to Rod Brindamore in a shootout, which is staggering for your best <laughs> offensive player. He's not like Aho. If you had to, if if you asked Rod. If you if you ended up in a shootout and you were into your fifth, sixth, seventh round, at what point does Aho get on the ice? And it might not be until then. And he's I your- mean, to be to, to be to be fair in the in the lockout coming again, not to linger on two thousand six, but I remember being shocked that in that first year of the shootout that Pierre Laviolette wasn't using Eric Stahl on the shootout, and especially because he he had you know in the in the sort of proto shootout for Lowell. I can't remember if that was preseason or whatever the, uh, during the lockout. Um, and and I remember Tom Rowe was there for a game at some point earlier in the year. And I said, like, how come, you know, Labby doesn't use stall in the shootout? And Rowe looked at me and goes, he's terrible. Yep. <laughs> so not to being a high skill offensive player, you know, and then we would see that worn out over the course of, of Stahl's career. But so sometimes being a high end offensive player is not always translate right. to shootout success. But Certainly, he's better than some of the other options they have. I would agree with you on that. So they, I mean, they've got. <laughs> who do you think their their uh, their most natural goal scorer is? I don't think there's any doubt. It's it's Andre Svechnikov. Really? I think it's Seth Jarvis. Oh, uh, uh, that, that's an interesting point. No, I. The reason Andre Svechnikov went second was because of his ability to shot. Um, I would still say Svechnikov, but I think Jarvis is is right there. I, that's a, it's a fair point. So, uh, so it, it gets back to Andre, then, because I do think that if if I'm not entirely sure that Martin Natchez isn't going to be on this team, I just don't know what his value is in the market. Like I think he becomes a piece right now based on this season, based on his vanishing act in the postseason. I think he's just a piece for uh, in a trade as opposed to a centerpiece in a trade. Um, but to me, going forward, the offense for this team is going to have to be represented. I mean, Ajo's fine. I got no problem with Ajo, no problem with Taravanen. But if Svechnikov doesn't become more of a goal-scoring threat, and I'm, I know he's got 30, but uh, as Rod joked with me once, you know, he's the king of the empty net goal. Um, Svech has to be more, more dangerous, you know, in terms of, he gets tons of chances. He has to be more dangerous to shoot. He has to be more, uh, productive to score. And then Jarvis, I think will be a 30 goal scorer, if not next year, the year after, I mean, he's going to be that guy too. Um, but I also don't disagree that they need some sort of a star. I'm not entirely sure that Nino Niederreiter is going to accept, uh, you know, a lesser deal, a shorter, lesser deal to stay because that's what it's going to take. Um, right. Because, I mean, I don't – do you think this team is going to delve into free agency? I, I could see a scenario where it does um, if they've already moved Natchez and, and they know they have cap space or 
Niederreiter has told them he's definitely not coming back. I would not be shocked if Nino did accept that because this we is might. a guy who, over the course of his career, uh, you know, he's been a streaky scorer. He's been expected to score, and he was able to recast himself into a two-way player. Um, I, I think I think he's at a point in his career where he knows he's probably not going to be able to depend on his goal scoring to carry him through. And this is a, a system and a place that works well for him. It also wouldn't shock me if someone offered him money because he's Nino Niederreiter and they have visions of him scoring 35 goals. And that's great. You know, if you can get the money, take it. Uh, this is not like the live tour. This is the NHL. It's all coming <laughs> from the same pot. Go get your piece of it. But, you know, I think it, 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 to a certain extent, like what you just said about Jarvis. Yes, I think Seth Jarvis will score 30 goals in the league. And I think he'll do it a lot. But Andrei Svechikov was the second pick mm-hmm. in the draft. And we'd probably still go second in a redrafting based on Kachuk, but maybe first because he has 50 to 60 goal potential. He has, I'm not saying he's going to do it, but when you look at him and say, this is a player, yes, who could someday score because he has the power, he has the shot, he has the willingness to go there. Um, but unless the Hurricanes win 60 games and he scores an empty netter in all of them, that's not going to happen right now. And there needs, he needs, he, he has to do more. And that's what I get back to with Ajo is, is Ajo a star or is he a superstar? There's times where the Hurricanes mm-hmm. have thought he's a superstar. I think he's a star. He's the first, I yeah. I think you're right. Yes. I don't think he's going to be in 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 that that sort of, uh, you know, we look at the guys who were first and second team all-stars, the Matthews and McDavid's and whatever's of the world. Ajo's not even close to that tier no. right now. I don't know that he's going to get there. Svechnikov, I think, has a chance to get there. One, he plays on the wing, so it's slightly less competitive. But there's no reason that he can't be up there, you know, with the the, the Marshans of the world at, at his peak, um, scoring 40, 50 goals. And Lord knows the Hurricanes generate the chances for a player like mm-hmm. him to do it. So then you get around to the question with, with Svechikov. Is he the player that they thought he was when he got drafted? Or is he just a good goal-scoring forward who's, as you said, could be good for 30, 35 goals? The thing is, when you have the second pick in the draft, you can't get Seth Jarvis. You got to get Andrei Svechnikov. Um, and if he just turns out to be a a, a bigger uh, version of Jarvis, then the Hurricanes ended up missing there. Um, now, when you look at that draft, obviously they have the third pick too, and he's nothing special at this point. I think Dalene's a pretty good defenseman, but he's not the mm-hmm. sort of Victor Hedman that they thought he was going to be. Um, certainly not a first pick in the overall type. So. You know, it just may end up being that the Hurricanes ended up with the second pick and what turned out to be not a great top-end draft. But I also think Svechnikov still has that potential. It's all there. I mean, you can see it. It's just a question of whether he's ever going to be able to put it all together. Here's so, the thing. Here's the thing about free agency that um, that I keep coming back to. Like, I do believe that the Hurricanes need because because it was obvious, as you said earlier, that you know the. Um, the Rangers had more stars. The Avalanche, as we're watching, have more stars. The Lightning, when healthy, have more stars. Florida has more stars, more really good high-end players, and their depth guys are better offensively uh, than Carolina. Um, that That's where the Hurricanes, you know, they they're going to fall short. They need another bona fide goal scorer from the wing, and, uh, you know, and that includes possibly bringing back a Nino Niederreiter. Uh, it would also help if maybe one of those bona fide goal scorers played the middle. Um, I don't know what to expect from Kokaniemi. I really don't uh, yeah. next year. Um, but I keep going to this. Two years from now, 
with uh, a salary cap that is going to be, oh, who knows, $40 million, have at least $40 million of room, right? But they still will have to, uh, there's a lot of guys who are going to need deals two years from now. So I don't think anybody they would sign in free agency um, or maybe an existing contract now uh, that might be, they can absorb now, but two years from now might not be able to. And I'm not, and I'm not talking about next season. I'm talking about this, you know, two, the 24-25, I guess it is, that season. You've got Ajo. You've got Jarvis who's going to get a big raise. You've got Pesci who's going to get a raise. You've got Taravainen who's going to get a raise. And who knows if they believe that Brady Shea is part of the core going forward. Uh, it's very possible that they look at Shea as a as a piece to keep for a long time if they can't develop uh, another top four left-handed defenseman who can play, I mean, oodles of minutes. If they don't somehow get involved in Jacob Chikrin uh, in this offseason, which I guess is still possible. Although I'm not sure how much they love Jacob Chikrin, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, I think if that was going to happen, it might have happened already, um, you know, in, in, in over the last six months. But, you know, regardless, even even so, when, when Shea's on the last year of his deal, um, he's going to be 29, almost 30. To me, that almost becomes a guy you trade next summer because not that Brady Shea is a replaceable part, but as they showed getting Shea, you can get guys like that. Now, if he were a right shot, maybe that's a little different. Um, but I, it wouldn't shock me if, if they moved on from Shea. But that alone, look, Pesci's salary is going to double. You know, Ajo is going to add another two. Like, that's like a player right there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and But that's why – that's what, honestly, that's what made this postseason, I think, one of several things that made it so sort of unusually frustrating for a second round exit is I think the players are aware more so than the fans that this window, I'm not saying the hurricanes window in general is closing, but this little particular window doesn't have that much left to run. And even to two a more years, extent, it has two more years. That's to it. To a certain extent, one of their windows just closed with Trocek and Niederreiter and potentially D'Angelo um, you know, that, that there was a window there where you had Trocek as your number two center. Now you've got to figure that position out and kind of start over there for the next two years. So the players know the clock is ticking and that to keep Pesci and to keep Ajo and to keep Taravainen and, and whoever else that they may want to keep uh, at that point, you know, Jarvis's uh, uh, raise, you know, maybe if D'Angelo gets a two-year deal, that, that would put him in that boat. Mm-hmm. Um, they're going to have to get rid of and, – and don't forget – at, at some point after the season, they're going to have to make a decision on the goalies. That may be a complication too. So, you know, there's there's uh, a, a, another window that's closing here. It's got two years to run, and yep. then they've got to regroup. So, yeah, I think that's one reason why I think when we talk about trading Natchez, we talk about potentially dipping into free agency or trading for a, a high salary player or, or restricted free agent. To me, there's an imperative there that you've got to use the cap space you have over the next two years because after two years from now, you will have to regroup. You will have to reorganize your roster. Um, and there's going to be changes anyway. I, I can't believe Jordan Stahl is coming back after this season. Everything he said at the end of this year led me to believe he's ready to, to hang him up. Um, so, you know, there's these things move in cycles. And the Hurricanes, at just at the end of one cycle, at the beginning of the end of another – um, you, that's why you can't wait around on Marty Natchez to me. You've just got to cut bait on him. And I do think, I think he has value. He's a former first round pick. Um, he's shown flashes. You could show the highlight of his goals in the Nashville series <laughs> and be like, wow, this kid can play. 
Um, and the fact that he had a terrible year in a contract year means wherever he goes, if he goes somewhere, the contract is not going to be an issue. You know, there's, he has, he has no, he doesn't have a leg to stand on here. Um, I think there are teams that can afford to wait on Martin Natchez. And we'll look at this as buying low and potentially selling high on a guy who was a top 15 pick who has shown flashes. Um, and maybe they play him at center and see what happens. Um, and he plays better because he's happier. But all I know is if a player in the contract, in a contract year, is that bad it's just i don't think it's going to work not in a contract year and to me it's just you get whatever you can for him i don't think you're getting a, a first round pick back by any means um but maybe you can get a decent player maybe you can get some salary cap relief um maybe you can get a couple draft picks that you can use because basically second third fourth round draft picks honestly they're, they're almost interchangeable at that point um maybe you can get a couple of those draft picks to take a couple throw a couple darts to the board but to me, bringing him back next year just suggests that you're you're you want to repeat the same mistakes over <laughs> and over again, and you're hurting your team because this team needs to get better before it's too late. All right, final uh, final thing, uh, and we'll uh, we'll try to keep this brief. Luke DeCock of the News and Observer, my friend, who's again at the beach on vacation. You need to get some sun, my friend. Um, Rod Brindamore is part of that two-year window. I think. I just don't know. He goes at it so hard. It's hard to see him continuing to do this after two years, two more years of this. Um, what level of urgency is caused by the head coach, you think? I mean, I, I don't know that it creates any additional urgency. Uh, I do worry about Grindamore and how hard he takes losing um, and uh, how difficult this postseason was for him. And, and the other thing I worry about with him is, is I worry about his ability to adapt. I think sometimes he, uh, well, not sometimes, he's unquestionably too loyal to players, whether mm-hmm. it's Brock McGinn or Warren Fogel or Marty Natchez, who have let him down. Or a goalie um, he won't pull. Or a goalie he won't pull. Although I get the strategy behind that, but still. Um, and, you know, he has such a, uh, uh, this sounds like a criticism, it's not, because it works a doctrinaire way of playing, a demanding way of playing um, that when things go badly, they go really badly because you have to be absolutely on your toes and at the, the, the top of your game to play the way they play and not be exposed. And you do need all five players playing together and you do need all 18 players going because if you expose any gaps, those gaps become yawning chasms that teams can exploit. Um, so I worry about him sort of personally you know, if he's going to do this for the long term, I think he has to find a way to, uh, you know, again, it sounds like have a little more pers- big picture perspective, take a little look, a little more at the long game. And I don't mean don't mean to be less loyal to his players, but I think he needs to find a way to look more objectively at his players. Um, and I think that would help him both in how he uses players uh, and then and in sort of some of the decisions they make as a franchise in terms of personnel. Uh, the, Marty Natchez's usage in the <laughs> Rangers series is there's no explanation for it other than a coach who won't give up on a player who anyone else would have given up on a long time ago. I agree. And he got power you know, play we, time without being effective on the power play. And I asked Rod about this and Rod said he's one of our most talented guys. He should be good on the power play. Uh, and he's right except that he wasn't, so he didn't add anything to the power play. I would have put Jordan Stahl, 
and Jesper Faust back on the power play in the postseason. Because those guys seem to add goals. Well, Jordan Stahl's left shin was overdue for the entire playoffs. (laughs) And not giving that shin a chance to bang one in is, is, is malpractice. But... You know, I, I, I think the sort of groundswell of irrational criticism of Rod Brindamore that sprung up after the loss to the Rangers, you know, he, it is sort of bizarro world baffling emails about, you know, he's he's a failure and blah, 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 right. which is, is, is just pure nonsense to me. Um, but I do think there are some valid sort of uh, critique and uh, 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 potential modifications to his approach and coaching style that would benefit him. And I think if he's if he's smart about it this summer, and if you know Don Waddell is smart about it, um, and 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 you know even and I, I guess Glenn Wesley is not with the organization anymore, so he's not a sounding board. But there are people that Rod trusts in the game uh, who have been in his position, uh, who he can you know maybe talk to. I, I I hope he does that. I hope he does a sort of self evaluation. Not that he needs to make a bunch of changes or he screwed anything up, but I I think he can improve. I think he can get better, mm-hmm. and I think. For this team to progress, uh, you know, that that everybody has to look at themselves and say, well, what did we do so so poorly in the spring of 2022 that interrupted our consistent forward progress as a franchise? And, uh, you know, what, what do we have to change to stay on that upward trajectory now that we've lost some momentum? And I think that's true of Dundon and Waddell and Brindamore and certainly of the players, um, you know, and and. and you know, you can say that, well, everything would have been different if Freddie Anderson was healthy. But I, I don't look at goaltending as the issue here globally. Uh, to me, the issue was, quite frankly, was scoring. Yep. You got you got to score a few goals. And I didn't, you know, Linus Olmark analytically was the worst goalie of the playoffs and the Hurricanes peppered him. Jeremy Swayman was fine. Uh, Shesterkin was, was great, but he wasn't, you know, I, I think his, his numbers were inflated and he made some big saves at critical times. But I also don't think the Hurricanes tested him very well. And we talked about this uh, after whichever game it was, game three or game four. Game there, four. The Hurricanes had, yep. had three early chances and they were ter- they, they did terribly with them. Mm-hmm. They just, when you get the puck in those areas on the ice, it's statistically, it's proven at this point that those air to shoot the puck from those areas on the ice have an expected goal value of X. Right. And when you get three of those chances, you should have 1.2 goals from it, whatever. But that's assuming you put a good shot on that. And mm-hmm. if you're just going to fire it in the circus club, then the value the expected goal is 0.0. And you've squandered all the hard work you did to get the puck to that position on the ice on your forehand, 12 feet from the net with nobody in your way. And if you're not going to score from those positions, honestly, what's the point? You can talk all you want about dirty goals and, oh, we just need to get a dirty goal. If you can't score on the good chances, then we're all just throwing dice at a board because at that point you're not winning on skill. You're winning on luck, and nobody wins on luck in the NHL, not in the playoffs. And dice, throwing dice at a board never works. They don't. The dice don't stick unless the dice have Velcro. Uh, well, I was throwing <laughs> dice at a green days table. Uh, you're the best. Luke DeCock, I appreciate your time, man. Uh, yeah, you got it. En- enjoy the beach, and uh, we'll talk again very soon. Yeah, take care. Two weeks away from free agency. I think uh, the NHL draft is the 7th of July. Free agency begins just a little bit after that. I don't think the Hurricanes will dip into free agency, as we talked about with Luke. I think the Hurricanes have a two-year window. Um, Sebastian Ajo is going to get a little bit of a bump. 
I don't think it's going to be uh, severe. Tavo Teravainen's going to get a bump, maybe even a little bit more than Sebastian got in terms of how much higher his number goes. Brett Pesci's going to get a little bit of a bump. Seth Jarvis, going to get a whole lot of a bump. I would think that Jarvis is probably going to make a minimum of $7 million a year more than he's making now, maybe eight and a half or nine. I think Pesci's probably going to end up being around six because that's where Slavin is. Slavin's going to end up being around between seven and eight. That's the following year, but in terms of two years from now, there's a lot of numbers that are going to go up. And also the Hurricanes have to decide whether or not Brady Shea's part of the future. We'll see. Carolina's got to add some rookies to the mix to keep the cost down. They got to figure out what to do with Jake Gardner. (laughs) Oh, isn't that a question? Isn't that a question? So there are a lot of questions. Hopefully uh, we'll have some answers in the next couple of weeks. Uh, We will be back before then. The next planned podcast will be a discussion of Carolina's prospects and what they can expect out of that group. With that said, I'm Adam Gold. Thanks to Luke DeCock of the News and Observer. I hope you are having a wonderful summer, and we'll see you soon on the Canes Corner Podcast. We're brought to you by the Aluminum Company of North Carolina. If it's for the exterior of your home, find it at the Aluminum Company of North Carolina on Hamlin Road in Durham. Sammy Hanna's crew do a great job. Aluminumcompany.com. Follow the Canes Corner Podcast wherever you get your podcast. I appreciate that. And uh, it keeps our numbers up. We like numbers. High numbers, good. Uh, But also, it just shows up wherever you uh, get your podcast automatically. So you don't have to keep checking back. Hey, is Gold ever going to do another podcast? Well, the answer is, look at your feed. It shows up automatically. And uh, until the next one, next week sometime, bye. This has been the Kane's Corner Podcast with Adam Gold, presented by the Aluminum Company of North Carolina. You can listen to this podcast at WRALsportsband.com or wherever you get your podcasts.